All right, welcome everybody to the monthly movie dispatch. Every month we get together and discuss our favorite new movie we saw the last month. We're high school friends. We've been doing this for a thousand years. Just kidding. It's only been a few years, but we've been discussing movies for at least 15 years and we love talking film. We'd be doing it if even no one was listening. I'm sitting here in Seattle and I'm with Brandon Bowlby in New York City. Hey guys. The question up top, Brandon, uh, the king of summer, Will Smith. What's your favorite Will Smith summer movie, Men in Black or Independence Day? Uh, Independence Day. Independence yeah. Day. Um, we got Derek, what's your deal up there in Everett, Washington? Derek, question up top, Independence Day or or Men in Black? Men in Black. <gasps> Definitely. And uh, we've, got Sh- we've also got Sean Bowlby. In Seattle, and Sean, guess what? I got a nickname for you, Sean Bowlby, Mister Big Take, because you're full of big takes these last few weeks, yeah. months, <laughs> I should say. Um, Men in Black or Independence Day? Uh, definitely Men in Black. Ooh. All right, all right. I'm on the Men in Black train too, except both of them, I think, are pretty freaking amazing for yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty freaking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm definitely on board for both of them. I just want to say I I feel like I haven't seen Men in Black in a really long time, so that could be the culprit of this. Dude, Men in Black is like a perfect, perfect movie. (laughs) Men in Black gets better with age, too. Yeah, I feel like Men in Black holds up just straight up as a good movie. Like, it's a good movie. Independence Day is not a good movie, but it is a really fun movie. I take offense to that, Sean. Independence Day is a pretty pretty great movie. Uh-huh. It's a great movie. No, it's definitely a great movie. It's just not a very good movie. Oh, has that uh, random random shot of like the most powerful salute ever? Have you seen that? I think it's like oh, a yeah. meme. The, just a random pilot that's just like, bam! Like the most isn't powerful that um, isn't that uh, Jane from Firefly who does that? Is what? that that character? What? We're going so deep. <laughs> the random extra yeah the- dude I, I was just gonna bring up that extra that I know you're a big fan of Derek uh, you, the guy who's looking at the, the building before it blows up you know what I'm talking about um, no there, there's one extra who's like really into it anyway we should not in talk about independence yeah in the New York scene yeah alright um, anyway so this this month was July and we are going to talk about um we're going to do a brief summer movie wager update we're going to talk about the movies that have made money for the month of july talk about how our summer movie wagers going who's in the lead who looks to maybe be the winner uh depending on how august goes and then we're going to go into our two feature reviews uh basically we only have two movies this month because we both like all between all four of us there were two movies that really really stood out and those are once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's new movie, and uh, Midsummer, the new horror film by Ari Aster. So, and we'll be doing spoiler sections for both of those movies. So we'll add a little bit of a timestamp on there for when, for when we'll be doing spoilers. But um, I kind of just want to dig right into it, guys. The do the summer movie wager update. So um, it looks like there were. Basically, there are a few movies that came out, but there were two movies that really gave us a lot of, a lot of ground. 
for for the month of July. And those movies are uh, The Lion King and Spider-Man Far From Home. So uh, let's start with The Lion King. How much money did The Lion King make this month? Um, who wants to give us a little update on The Lion King? Too much money. <laughs> Way God. too much. So the Lion uh, King- but that was Brandon's favorite movie of the year so far. So <laughs> okay, I mean so we shouldn't bad. we shouldn't make fun of Brandon for the Lion King quite yet. Let's talk about Part how one. much money it made. It made three hundred ninety-two million dollars as of right now. So right now it's sitting right behind Toy Story in third place on our summer movie wager um, for the summer. And uh, at this point, it will absolutely pass Toy Story. Uh, Tonight, Toy Story has past Toy Story. Yeah, Toy Story currently has four hundred two million dollars. Blanking is at three hundred ninety-two. So very quickly here, Toy Story is slowing down. The Lion King just keeps racking in the dough. I called so, it. I called it. Yep, you did. You did Biggest show down you, in the summer. You did call it. Um, that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that that that's huge, and I mean, we all saw it coming. And besides, I mean, you're you're the only one that put in second place. I didn't want to bet against Pixar, but after seeing how much money Aladdin made, I think it was pretty clear that the Lion, that Toy, that Lion King being an even bigger movie was going to just crush and be again second place. Right. Um, I Hello. mean, I, I like to ex- I, I'd like to um, give myself an excuse by saying that I had too much faith in humanity, <laughs> but I mean, I just didn't see it. I, I mean, Sean, you did see it though. You, no, you, I mean, you're you're part of the problem, man. You you saw. <laughs> no, no, uh, I'm Lion sorry. King. I mean, I I didn't see it coming. I didn't see this coming. Uh, like I would like to say that I had too much faith in humanity and that. I, I voted with my heart and I believed in humanity, but I just didn't see that that Lion King. Yeah, was we're, we're not voting so for ideals successful. here. Yeah, I know. I think the problem right. is, and what we need to understand going forward with these remakes is that Disney is like crafting a box office like winner every time. So it's like we all, I think, really knew that the Lion King was going to win. I just think all of us were like, it can't beat Toy Story. It just can't. Mm. Like, it won't. But really, it's like every single sign pointed to, of course, the Lion King is going to win in the box office. Like, look at, I don't know, just look at how it didn't even like, it didn't even, it hasn't made it that far on the quality. Like, it was, this was completely in the casting and in the marketing and everything. Yeah, for sure. They they know how to make gold yeah you know how to just print money yeah yeah i mean i feel like this happens every year at the summer movie wager where we where we make you know predictions we make guesses we come up with reasons for picking these guesses but in hindsight it seems so obvious like of course lion king was going to crush of course it was going to get in second place yeah Um, Yeah, for sure uh, what do you guys think um I was kind of thinking, does Disney have any more Lion Kings? I think Mulan uh, very well could do the same thing. But outside of Mulan, do you think they have any more uh, like classic films that can be? Uh, I mean, the, you know, I, I think the last action. one is The Little Mermaid. And then they yeah. finished yeah, their true. like new wave 90s yeah. remakes. Yep. 
Snow White? Yeah, but those that's like going back, you know. That's yeah. like going way back. So they have a lot of stuff they could mine still if they go yeah, way to sure. the past. But like as far as the ones that people will show up for in these big waves, I think Little Mermaid's the last one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably probably doesn't even have what uh, Aladdin had, I would say. Mm-hmm. So yeah, depends what kind of like stunt casting they get. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I feel like it's right. It's right around there with Aladdin, maybe a little below, but yeah, still, it's going to be a blockbuster. Also, you know, like Lion King and um, Aladdin both have uh, draw for young boys and young girls. Uh, whereas, I don't know, I feel like Little Mermaid wouldn't have the draw of the boys. It's just more boys. princess than any yeah. of the others. Mm-hmm. I think if they like Although, indulge yeah. in the final battle quite a bit, I think they could because it's a pretty movie. Gets pretty epic. For what? Like, for Milan or no? For, for oh, wait, Mermaid? was that what we were talking about? No, Little Mermaid. Yeah, Little, yeah, Mermaid. Little Mermaid. What else is there? Yeah, Pocahontas. Big is that the only other nineties? Pocahontas. There's. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, actually, Snow White and the Seven they... Dwarves very well could be that. Well, they did that already. Yeah. With Kristen Stewart, if <laughs> was a flop. Mm, that was no. That was um, Sleeping Beauty. No. Yeah. No, Snow White right. and the Huntsman. The, wait. Oh, yeah, there, there was, was a Snow White. Snow White oh, I was movie, thinking. Yeah. Right. I was thinking Maleficent. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. yeah yeah yeah. You're right. Cinderella. They did that. <laughs> they did Cinderella with. Um, okay. Well. Day. Okay. So I, I really, I, I'm the only one out of here that hasn't seen The Lion King. Going back to The Lion King, I really want I mean, real quick. I want to talk. King? No, I did not see that. Oh, yeah, movie. I, I chose not to see it because. Oh, yeah, that's right. yeah. I, I chose not to see it. Um, I was busy, and uh, didn't feel like making the time for it. Um, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know how how in depth we want to go on this, but um, you know, what did you guys think of the movie? I know, like, I feel I'm really like first, curious, like how you think, like how are you feeling having not seen it based off people's reactions so far? Okay, so I feel pretty gr- good. I feel fine. <laughs> I don't know. I feel fine. The the thing is, here's here's the funny thing. I, I, again, I don't know how far in depth that we want to go with this, but like, me and Sean had a really bad argument about Lion King months ago. Like, we got really heated. I was I I was really mad. I don't know. I don't even know if Sean was mad, but it felt like we both were like it was like a pretty heated argument. And uh, my point was, hey, just let people have fun. You know, like whatever. It's a fine movie. And Sean was like, no, no, this is bad. This is bad, Nick. And we like we got into this really, really dumb argument about it. And uh, somehow, since we had that argument, my opinion changed to like, yeah, you know what? It is actually kind of dumb. It, like, it looks like a shot for shot remake. And I historically don't like talking animal movies, like uh, especially especially when they're real animals. You know, when you have like a real animal that's talking, it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, you guys know my feelings about Paddington. Like, I just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so I was like, why should I see Lion King? This doesn't, this, th- this doesn't make sense to me. I, th- the cartoon makes sense because they're, they're silly. They're, they're animated. They're singing. This is great. But, um, yeah, the whole live action thing, I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to see it. And then, uh, 
you know, Brandon, you know, you're, you were really, really excited about this movie. And so I don't, I don't want to be the person to rain on your parade, but, um, you kind of, you kind of orchestrated this thing where you and Derek and Sean all went to the movie together. I was really excited for it. Just like how, what could go wrong? Like at the very least, this is going to be so much fun. And I'll start by saying it was absolutely jaw-dropping technology. From the opening moment, like, I gasped. And it was gorgeous. However, pretty much everything about this movie was so flattened down in every aspect. The drama was flattened. The comedy was flattened. um, The music was flattened. Like, all of it was just so plain from how brilliant it used to be. Um, So I don't most every other aspect besides the visuals it was very disappointing so sean as someone who you know betrayed your uh your innermost feelings <laughs> your morals you know yeah your your In morals this, this argument that we had somehow you ended up going to see the movie yeah so tell me more about that. my defense brandon comes over from new york one twice a year i like spending you know like spending as much time as I can with him while he's here and he wanted to see Lion King and it turned into this thing where I wouldn't have seen it on my own. Um, but Brandon was going to see it. It was, it's a big movie. Obviously it's, you know, it's, uh, um, a movie that people are going to be talking about a lot. Um, I had the, and it was, I have AMC Stubbs A-list. So it's basically free for me to go see. You're going to the Dolby so, Theater. It's going to be a to comfy seat, middle and of the summer, I, air conditioned. And it was one of those things where if I didn't go see it, I it would have just been because I was being stubborn. <laughs> and um, like there was literally no reason to not go see it. I would have, if I hadn't have seen it, I probably would have like dropped Brandon off yeah. at the theater and, and just then, hung like, out at the mall. Gone and hung out in the mall <laughs> for two and a half. You could have, you could have gone see a different movie. That's I've done true. that. Like I, I've I definitely could have. I've done that where like I, I went to the theater with a group of people and they were all seeing something and I was yeah. like that looks dumb. <laughs> I don't want to see that. And I just went to see yeah. Hollywoodland by myself. You should see it, Nick. I, I think, I think I'm gonna. I mean, I'll probably watch it. I'll probably watch it when it comes on Blu-ray because I'm trying to be 100% on the top 100 highest-grossing movies of all time, and I'm at 94% right now. So, um, you know, I need to see that and a lot at this point. So, um, and Toy Story 4. Still haven't seen that. But um, the other the other movie that came out um, that made a lot of money was Spider-Man: Far From Home, and that's currently sitting at um, number four uh, with $352 million just past Aladdin. So it, it'll probably stay at that range. Uh, I don't really see it passing Toy Story 4 or The Lion King, obviously. Um, that movie is another one that we kind of had mixed reviews about. I thought it was absolutely, absolutely what I wanted from a Spider-Man movie. Um, we kind of talked about Lion King for a little too long, so I don't know if we really need to get into Spider-Man right now. But um, I love Spider-Man. What was that? Oh, I said we can skim, skim through it real quick. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was like I thought it was so much fun. It was the perfect come down after Endgame. Endgame being like this big monumental, like piece of work that built up to everything, and just Spider-Man was just 
just hanging out with these characters, going on vacation, just uh, having fun. I had so much fun with Spider-Man. And um, um, I know Sean didn't like it. Sean thought it was one of the worst MCU movies, which I don't understand at all. But the one of the worst. It was now that I thought about it. It's the second worst MC movie, MCU movie that I have seen, just above uh, Iron Man two. <gasps> Sean, you're crazy though. Like I seriously, I haven't seen that many really bad ones though. I, like I'm sure you guys are going to point out a lot of MCU movies that are that are probably worse than this movie, but I almost certainly have not seen them. Um, one good example that is I actually saw Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I thought this movie was worse than Ant-Man and the Wasp because at Whoa. least Ant-Man and the Wasp no. was funny no. and it had some clever action. See, Sean, though, I, you're I like... Did, I straight up, I don't think I gave more than... This movie got more than three chuckles out of me throughout the entire movie, and they were barely chuckles, and I thought... And the action scenes were so bland and dull, and I cared so little about the the villains, like, because there were several villains in this movie, Um, but and none of the action scenes I I thought were hey Sean Sean remember how I had uh, your nickname as a big take Sean. I think I'm going to change it to uh, fart take Sean because uh, you're full of farts. Um, I honestly, like, I feel like you must have been hungry or something. Like, were you, like, in a sad mood going into the movie? Like, were you, like, so. feeling okay? Because, like, really good. like it was honestly, a, it was like, really, uh, it was honestly, nice I was, like, I, like, rode my bike to the theater. and like, I was, like, I was having so much fun. I was, me and I saw it with Cow, and we were, like, we were, like, elbowing each other, like, laughing hysterically yeah, I mean, at certain I parts. By myself. I think both of you are out of control. And I think this movie was much more middle road than either of you guys are giving it credit for. Where would you put it, Brennan? Like, obviously, what did I, I give it? Put Two it and a half, three stars? I think that's about it. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, like, three. where would you put it? Like, because obviously you, you probably think it's a little bit better than Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, and, <laughs> that's for sure. But, like, is there... I don't know like, if I've ever are, made my Marvel power, like, power ranking, but, yeah. you know, I don't know. Lower mid tier, mid tier, I guess. Yeah. My take is that it is definitely a messy movie, and uh, I'm not sure I like some of the choices they made for Peter Parker's character. Um, there's like some stuff that I know people were hoping they weren't going to do, and then it seemed like they weren't going to do it, and then kind of by the end of the movie they're like, oh no, yeah, he's. He's definitely going to be like the next Tony Stark, essentially, mm-hmm. which is really like eye rolly to me. It's like the most boring direction they could take the character. But yeah, um, but the the cool things about the movie is like the Mysterio like dream sequence when he first like when he attacks. Well, I don't know if we're doing spoilers or not. I don't. But you know the dream sequence. You know, there's yeah, just yeah, one really. Totally. Gosh, those that were was, so good. Those that were was awesome. I mean, totally, and that that's one scene that I. I did perk up for, and uh, I did really like it. So, um, Sean, do you want to break down the summer movie wager? Apparently, you've done a lot of work, yeah. and uh, well, 
Um, You've you've calculated some Ruby Wager down to a science, which I don't really believe that that you're accurate on, but if you want to... Well, so I learned C++, and I've been doing all this coding um, to to write some soft... No. Um, I basically just brute forced it. (laughs) All right, so right now, basically, Brandon and I have zero chance of... um, Breaking the top ten, mm. or, or uh, winning the top ten. Um, zero, zero chance. Um, uh, I could get into why, but but basically, I have zero chance because no matter where everything lies, um, my list is almost exactly the same as Derek's list, and Derek has Jurassic or not Jurassic World, uh, John, John Wick, Wick three. Um, so Derek's going to be has three John points Wick ahead of you on his list, and he's going to beat me with John Wick three, no matter what happens. Brandon, however, is has um, at least two movies that are not going to make the top ten. Um, Men in Black and uh, Dark Phoenix aren't going to make the top ten, and uh, so he is almost. There's no way Brandon can uh, come ahead of of uh, Derek. Uh, basically. And then Nick um, is barely hanging in there, but the one saving grace for Nick is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his number 10, which he could get 13 points for. So um, that, and the 13 points that you would get for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would actually bump you up just ahead of Derek. Just ahead? So he almost has to land the 13? Yeah. Yes, you can't land like if, five if or seven. A, but see, this is where this is where I'm pre-confused on your. I mean, again, I'm sure you could break it down, and we could yeah. spend an hour on it. But like, you know, last year, for example, uh, I thought I was in pretty good shape with um, with uh, my number ten choice, and then mm-hmm. you know the Meg came out of nowhere, and uh, the Meg snuck in the top ten, and that changed everything. Um. Mm-hmm. um you know, Hobbs and Shaw, we don't know where it's going to land. And that could shake up something, something else too. Um, it there could be could, a variable here. Here's the reason why. Okay. So, I mean, obviously I haven't taken into account every possibility. There could be other movies that, um, that come completely out of nowhere and break into the top 10. I'm kind of looking ahead and thinking that any movie that even has the remotest of chances to break the top 10 won't have enough time to do so. So like, I mean, even if like good boys, which looks like it's going to be, you know, do pretty well, that movie only has a couple weeks to, to make all its money to, to break into the top 10. So I am making an assumption that we pretty much know what the top 10 movies could be at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so that's some review wager this time next month. Um, we'll pretty much know um, who the winner will be. So when we record the next episode, I'm pretty sure we'll know who the winner is as long as we record it after labor day. Cause labor day does count. So the Monday of labor day does count. So uh, we have a full month um, to uh, see which makes the most money. And um, I kind of think uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to come down to maybe even the last week. So Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty confident that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to make the top ten. It had a pretty solid opening, and people are pretty excited about it. It could 
they'll go to number nine, and then we'll mm-hmm. see what so happens. 100 and, 110 million, that's the number it's got to yeah. be. Yep. All right. So with that, I think we should go into our first feature review for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the movie that I chose for the month. Uh, spoiler, the other three of you guys chose Midsummer to be uh, your number one movie of the month. So I chose uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie. Uh, real quick plot summary, a faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969, Los Angeles. So, um, I really enjoy this movie. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty big Quentin Tarantino fan. I've seen all of his movies probably 10 times besides like Death Proof, um, and Django Unchained. But um, I I pretty much loved this movie. Um, I loved. I, I'm also a sucker for uh, this time period with Hollywood. I know that's kind of like a. Um, that's something that maybe you're interested in, or maybe you're not interested in. For example, like I was a pretty big fan of the Coen Brothers Hail Caesar movie, which took place around the same time in Hollywood, and uh, most people didn't like that. So you know, I'm kind of like I'm kind of kind of lean towards. I like these kind of movies. I like movies about old Hollywood. Um, I loved how this movie uh, kind of uh, played with your expectations. Like it, um, it kind of played with uh, what you might think of history, which we'll get into more later. But also with uh, like the technique of it, there were often times where you think it was going to go in a certain direction, or you think like a Tarantino sort of thing might happen, and then it kind of shies away from that. Um, it was a very sweet movie. It was very like, kind of like, you know, it wasn't as violent as Tarantino movies usually are. And, um, it had a lot of heart in it, which, um, also don't necessarily, Tarantino movies don't necessarily have a lot of heart. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it was cool. Cause it was like, I don't know. It, 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 it was like sentimental about Hollywood. And, um, I don't know. I just really loved how uh, how this movie played out. It had a lot of like really, um, it had a lot of really cool structural choices. Like for most of the movie, you don't really know where it's going. Like it's a lot of just hanging around with Leonardo DiCaprio, the actor, and Brad Pitt, the stunt the stunt man, his like personal assistant. And you know, for a lot of it, it was just like, okay, where is this going? And then it kind of um, it kind of comes together with this big. Uh, big finale and um but yeah i mean i was i was engrossed the whole time and i was just laughing a lot and um yeah i was having a great time Mm -hmm. um brandon i think you were next in line with the appreciation of this movie yeah um i think this is one of the more enjoyable tarantino films i've seen in a while um i don't know maybe since like even just Kill Bill. Like, I just had such a blast watching this movie. And even though I think I like some, like, maybe better, like, of course, Inglorious Bastards, like, that movie is horrifying to watch, while this one was, like, a fun breeze. Um, yeah, this movie, so basically, I don't know, this movie was a breeze. I think the pacing of it, like, Quentin Tarantino has just always had a knack for incredible pacing, even when his story is meandering, like it does in this film. 
And a huge chunk of that has to do with like, you know, the leads, Brad Pitt, Leo, Margot Robbie are all just like, I don't know, hamming it up. They're such a blast to watch and they all have that key charisma that just uh, makes movies like you just want to follow these characters no matter what they're doing. Um, I think uh, I have a big thing to talk about with my experience of the history that I knew or didn't know of this film, but I think I want to touch back on that right after we uh, go into spoilers. So yeah. What'd you think, Derek? Uh, Yeah, it was great. I mean, there's something about, the way Tarantino makes his movies that just feels like they just feel so warm and like authentic and not Hollywood. Like they don't feel, I mean, they don't feel like anything else. I don't know. Like just the look, the texture of the film, like it's just such a beautiful. Yeah. It's just, it's nice to see someone that appreciates film so much like in an old sense as opposed to like a new uh you know super digitized special effects kind of sense like it's very everything's feels so authentic and so real like you know all the all the all the old cars and the you know the vast like huge sets and um you know it just it just feels so old school and it just it's just a cool thing to see like out of a summer blockbuster you just don't mm-hmm. you know the next we won't get to see that again until he makes another movie no one else does that so yeah, that's you, just you really know, cool you know tarantino is like extremely authentic with every single thing he does like uh in jackie brown there's really a million dollars in in the bag that they're carrying around and cash <laughs> and um in awesome. in the hateful eight um when uh i think kurt russell uh or someone destroys that guitar um that was actually a priceless guitar that he destroyed um and it, they were supposed to switch it out before he smashed it but he they all got kind of caught up in the filming and he just smashed this basically priceless guitar <laughs> Well, and I know even in this one, you know, with the studio switch, because this is the first non-Weinstein produced mm, Tarantino right. movie, part of his contract that when he was kind of shopping around to different studios was like, one thing he wanted out of it was to be able to buy more car, more old, you know, old cars to put in the movie so they could really fill the whole streets with them. And hmm. um, So yeah, it's just that, that extra, that little bit just makes such a big difference. Um, you know, this kind of movie, I think, will stand, will hold its quality a lot longer. It's just, I don't know, it's just a different experience, and it's not something we get to see very often. So that's mm-hmm. always awesome, and that was really fun. I also, like you said, it's like, it's kind of a different movie for Tarantino. It's probably one of the more lighthearted, um, you know, for the most part, for most of the running time. It's more of a, yeah, sweet, I hate using that term, like, love letter, but it really is, like about appreciating the medium like especially with Quentin Tarantino because pretty much every one of his movies is a love letter to something right some some era of cinema yeah and I love I love the direction they took with showing that you know this movie is very much about acting and um it was just a yeah it was just such a it was a really interesting and fun story for them to tell you know the the fall of like this this actor and uh his his passion for 
acting and how he really cared about, you know, being a good actor as opposed to just making money and stuff like that. And mm. and then it had the Tarantino flair, which it just makes every scene so fun and funny and awkward and just enjoyable. And uh, all the leads were great. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite Brad Pitt movies in a long time. Like Hammett, he doesn't do a lot anymore. And it was really cool just to see him like as such a such like a like not just being Brad Pitt in a movie like this was really a, a meaty role for him, I thought. And I really loved his character. So mm. it was just cool to get to see that, too. Um, yeah, uh, I guess I'll, I'll just echo everything you guys said. Um, it's a really fun movie to watch. Uh, he's so good at Quentin Tarantino so good at like drawing you into scenes and making scenes in, uh, individual scenes. So interesting. Um, and you know, I, I almost think like this is his most, or, or at least for a part of this movie or like the first half, I thought this was, might be his most mature movie. Like, um, in that the dialogue was wasn't like um, it wasn't poetical or you know it, it felt a lot more like two people or, or people sitting having a, a real conversation. Whereas all of most of his other movies, it's very um, you know kind of almost more prose and and uh, <clears throat> it definitely feels written. Um, and, uh, so I thought like that was kind of a, a, a fresh kind of fresh for Quentin Tarantino. Um, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, it, it felt like it was just kind of about this character and, and it was such a great portrayal of that character, uh, by Leonardo DiCaprio. It was so honest and, um, and real. And I, I think he did a great job of showing how specifically how Quentin Tarantino feels about um, those types of actors, you know, he's talked a lot about that era, um, and kind of those, those types of actors, those working actors who, um, who do a lot of different kinds of roles, but usually they're kind of B movies or television or, um, you know, sometimes foreign films. Um, but they, they really have like an innate talent. There's, um, they don't really get to show it off that often, but they do have a really good talent for acting. And um, and uh, um, Leonardo DiCaprio pulled that off so well. Um, playing that that kind of B movie actor, but you can definitely see through that um, those you know him in those B movies and see that he does have a talent for it because obviously it's. It's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio playing it, and he can uh, pull off really good acting in those scenes. Um, but yeah, I, I also loved um, uh, Margot Robbie was so good. Like, um, and there was she didn't have a lot of dialogue, and she didn't have a lot of lines, but she just had uh, like a, a classic Hollywood quality about her, um, where she was just so uh, lovable on screen, and she. Uh, she just like in her face and in her, the joy that she felt, um, during certain scenes, like when she was watching herself, 
uh, in the movie, in the movie theater was, it was just so good. And like you instantly connect to her and, um, um, yeah. Um, I, I loved her performance of, um, in the movie. Um, we definitely still got like her story. Like it was still well told even without, there wasn't a lot of speaking lines, like mm-hmm. he said, but like we still visually like in the location yeah. she goes and the things she does, like yeah, it told sure. the story for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I guess I had a question for you. I had more to talk about, um, about how I experienced the movie and how the, the people that I went to see the movie with experienced and how it was different for certain reasons, but we should get into that in spoilers. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. So I guess we'll do spoilers from here forward, but also what we're going to talk about isn't necessarily a spoiler. So mm-hmm. anyway, we are going to talk about spoilers. So Spoilers from here on forward. Um, I know Brandon has a lot to say about this too, um, but this movie has been was um, the trailers were kind of vague on what this movie was about. But if you followed the news or you know going in like the story about go, what this movie was going into it, it was uh, like you would know that when it was being the script was being shopped around, it was the Quentin Tarantino Manson murder movie so it was supposed to be hollywood and the manson family murders were going to happen to sharon tate played by margot robbie and so uh you might have you would absolutely have a different experience uh about the movie if you depending on how much you knew about the manson family murders so um uh, brandon uh, i know you had can i can i say jump in real quick and and talk about because i I kind of uniquely, um, I, th- I saw this movie with three different people and we all three knew different amounts about this movie and we all three knew, uh, had very different experiences of the movie. Um, and so I, I saw this movie with, with, uh, my friend Matt and with Kelly where Matt saw this movie ac- almost knowing nothing about the film only knowing it was Quentin Tarantino's Hollywood movie. Um, I went into the movie knowing that um, it was about the Manson murders, but not knowing nearly enough about the, the Manson murders to even be able to tell that this, that um, this character, Rick Dalton, wasn't a real character, like wasn't a real person in Hollywood. So I actually watched almost the entire movie thinking that he was a, playing a real person. Um, and then Kelly watched this movie knowing that it was, uh, about the Manson murders. Uh, and she recently had done some research on the Manson murders and knew a pretty good amount, uh, about the murders going in to see the movie. And so she knew pretty much right off the bat that Rick Dalton and this, this guy, uh, the, I forget the name of Brad Pitt's character, but um, knowing that they had nothing to do with the Manson murders and that they didn't play any role. And so she, her experience was like, why are these like made up characters um, a part of a Manson murder movie? And right. So I, who I are like we, we shall say who we are in this scenario. Like, are you, yeah. are you Sean Kelly or Matt? Uh, I'm Brandon. Sean. You're, you're okay. Sean. Yeah. Right in the Sean, middle. Sean is Sean. Derek is Sean. Sean is Sean. Brandon, Brandon is. I'm I'm Matt, but I'm also even further back than Matt. So like, 
I didn't know it was a Manson murder film, but I also don't know what the Manson murders are, and I've never heard of Sharon Tate, and I don't really even know that Charles Manson had a cult. I've maybe just knew he killed wow. somebody in the past. I don't, huh. think he's, I don't think he's actually killed anybody. No. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think I'm Kelly in this scenario because I knew I knew a fair amount. Like I knew I knew that Rick Dalton wasn't real. I knew all of that was made up. And I knew that, uh, but I didn't know that the murders happened in Roman Polanski's house. I knew that Sharon Tate oh. was pregnant when she got killed. I knew how brutal the murders were. Like, when they started, when, I didn't know what date it was, but when they said the date and it started happening, and you, you saw, I saw that she was pregnant, I was like, oh no, this is going to be bad. We're going to see some bad stuff. And, mm. um, you know, it was... Uh, it was pretty crazy, though. Like, uh, I mean, uh, we're in the spoiler section. So, like, I mean, I think it's fair to say at this point that he pulled in Glorious Bastards and he just changed history. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, was pretty fucking awesome. And, like, for how for how awful these murders were in real life, it's pretty fucking badass that you got to see these horrible people get brutalized and... Uh, mm just torn apart in such an incredible way um i don't know it's uh i i also thought that it was knowing nothing and not even knowing that these murders were real i thought it was like just a great excuse to have this major event lead to such like a minuscule moment of him talking to his neighbor by the fence Mm And so knowing nothing, I was like, (laughs) I thought Quentin Tarantino just orchestrated the most amazing, yeah, icebreaker of all time, just so he would be like, hey, how's it going? What what happened over there in your house? And when that moment happened to me, I was like, oh, like, that's when the whole movie came together in my ignorance. I was like, that's brilliant. That's so clever. Yeah, I mean, it's that that was a pretty amazing moment. Like, just uh, is everyone okay? Yeah. Well, they're all dead. But <laughs> and right uh, when that happened, I knew the whole like Roman Polanski connection, how they would end the movie like romantically like yeah. that, and I was like, oh, this is going to be so touching. Uh-huh. Well, you know, and I can't help but like get like you know my my mind races, and I start thinking like you know uh, there's like Quentin Tarantino has now created an alternate timeline where where uh, Sharon Tate's still alive. She got to be in a bunch more movies. You know if. Mm-hmm. You know, if Sharon Tate didn't die, uh, would Roman Polanski have gotten uh, arrested for, uh, you know, child um, abuse? I guess he... Uh, child pornography. It wasn't child pornography. It was um, I thought having he sex took pictures with, of... He drugged and took pictures of... I thought he, like, had Jesus. relations with a minor. Um, maybe. I thought it looks uh, like we need to visit Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, well, either, we just either we're way, kind of guessing on a lot sure. of stuff. But anyways, um, but yeah, yeah, if really, really bad, would he have gone? Would he have gone in trouble for that if if she, his wife was still alive? You know, uh, I just I just can't help but like. I mean, I, I I have an imaginary sequel in my head about this alternative timeline, and um, and obviously uh, Roman Polanski that none of that happened before the murders. So so this movie takes place well before any of that happened or any of that came out or or anything. Right, so, right. Um, um, but yeah, and like 
where I forget who said it or, or where I heard it, but um, it's almost even people kind of say that the the Sharon Tate murders or, or those Manson murders were kind of in a lot of ways the end of the brought about the end of the golden age of Hollywood and like really changed the way that people saw Hollywood actors and and um, uh, so th- this is almost kind of Tarantino maybe even extending that golden age of Hollywood and, mm-hmm. and maybe it uh, it is still around today and yeah. How much of that do you think was self-referential from about flack that he's gotten for violence in his movies? So there's literally a line in there where one of the Manson family members is like, Hollywood taught us violence. Now let's show them violence or something like that. You know? Yeah. How much of, um, do you think that was in any way like him? Like, I, fuck I you feel guys. like that like, was, <laughs> yeah, I, I do kind of feel like, he was aware at least of what he was writing. I don't know if he was trying to make a specific point about it or, or if he was trying to say something specific about it, but yeah, yeah, just kind of him killing the people who, um, because I also, I think that, um, those, at least those ideas did play a big role in the murders. Like that's like, they were trying to like that. That was so in real life. Yeah, like that was um, some of the reasoning. Um, um, I mean, it's much more complicated than that. They wanted yeah, to yeah, start yeah, a race not, war. Uh, between... Yeah, there's a lot. It's really complicated. <laughs> there is a lot to it, but I think but, that that was may have played a part in why the murders happened. Is that they were? Um, yeah. Anyways, but I will I say though, that, like but, that. So like we have the first like what hour and a half of the movie that's pretty much just. You know, Margot Robbie walking around and then Brad Pitt and Leo are hanging out on movie sets and like running errands and stuff like that. That's like an hour and a half straight. Right. And then when that when Brad Pitt goes to the Manson family farm, like that's when it really feels like an like a Tarantino movie kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. it like instantly that tension kicks in and it's like. I don't know. From that point, like I, the whole movie's great. I really loved it, but like I really like that those thrilling aspects of his movies, and like that point, that's the point where it like really grabbed me, and it's like, yeah. What did Brandon think? So of that freaking scene? intense from there on out. I feel like so Brandon. I mean, they said the name Charlie. They never said. I don't. think Yeah, it didn't register. I had no idea. This it, and not until after the credits, I didn't even know this film was about anything Manson. And I don't even really know who Manson is, so it wouldn't have made a difference. I just thought it was a really. <laughs> I actually kind of thought they were going to pull a from dusk till dawn. Hmm. Like yeah. something like that was going to happen. Like they're going like, to be vampires or something. Yeah, I thought like something supernatural <laughs> seriously was happening on uh, that ranch. Man, that'd be fucking crazy. <laughs> and I was so ready for them to all be like vampires or Gosh, like where? How great! How great was that scene though? That was kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Where um, I mean, I, like obviously they changed history, which chips your expectations. But that that whole scene is orchestrated where something is going to go wrong. Like you're watching it being like, okay, he's going to go into the house and the guy's going to be dead or he's going to be yeah. drugged or they're going to come up behind him and kill him. Like Everything something's going right. to happen. Yeah. Even till the yeah, very I mean, end. Yeah. I mean, he tired. just, 
It's like, he just kind of goes in and, you know, uh, they just, everyone's okay. You know, they have that awfully, like, wonderful dialogue of, like, how he needs to go back to bed because Cookie gets mad when he falls asleep during the shows. And well, uh, what, get, what, gets, yeah. what happens when Cookie gets mad? Oh, nothing. I just don't like disappointing her. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's so cute. You know, it's like, yeah. it's opposite of what you would ever expect in a Quentin Tarantino movie, especially. Well, it's like the ultimate rise and fall of tension there because it's like, mm-hmm. we've been going this, we're like, God, this, what is Tarantino doing? This is so different for him. And we're like, okay, here it is. This is like right. where it all starts. And then it just does it. <laughs> right. Oh, you're like, you know, but then it like kind of comes then, back when he beats the shit out of the guy. Well, yeah. And the guy and Tex is riding back on his horse. Yeah. And so like for me is as far as how I thought that he, these real uh, Rick Dalton and his stuntman people were going to tie into the Tate murders is I actually thought that, that that is what was going to bring um, like the the Manson people to Sharon Tate's house because also like I, they'd run next door heard, after killing Rick Dalton. Or yeah, something. like they go to the wrong house because I, I had heard that that them going to Sharon Tate's house was totally random and that it was something along the lines of they went to the wrong house. Mm. And as what, what ended up really happening is it wasn't the wrong, they didn't go to the wrong house. They went to that house because Charles Manson knew someone who used to live in that house. And, um, he sent them, if you remember, cause there, there's that scene early on. Yeah. They set that up. That was beginning. actually Charles Manson who, right. who shows up at the Tate, right. at the, uh, Polanski Tate house. Yeah. Oh, so I forgot I thought, about that scene. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I kind of thought that anyways, that, so that's what ended up really happening is he, Charles Manson sent them to the house of someone that he used to know. Um, but I thought it was going to be this stunt man was going to bring them to the Tate house. But instead it was six months later. House. Yeah. It was six cut. months later and they just happened to live next to each other for no reason <laughs> other than this is Quentin Tarantino's universe and he can do what he wants. I mean, it's the Hollywood Hills. It's what if yeah, where people really live. That, yeah. the ending. So, um, I think we need to move on, but I do think it'd be fun if we all went through and did our Quentin Tarantino rankings. So hopefully you guys have those prepared in front of you. But, um, you know, he's debatably, you know, he's done nine movies. He's always said that he's going to do ten and then he's going to retire. But um, he considers considers Kill Bill one movie. So we're going to consider Kill Bill one movie. And um, uh, who wants to go first with the rankings? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, Brandon. All right. So in reverse order. Uh, number nine, I, I'm going to caveat this. I think I've maybe seen a handful of these less times than you guys. I've never done a Tarantino rewatch. Um, but anyways, here it goes. Number nine, Django Unchained. Uh, number eight, Death Proof. Number seven, Hateful Eight. Uh, number six, Jackie Brown. Uh, five, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Four, Reservoir Dogs. Three Pulp Fiction, two Kill Bill, and number one in Glorious Bastards. Oh, okay. Did any of those okay. freak you guys out? Um, Jackie, Jackie Brown's too low. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, Jackie Brown over all the others could go anywhere if I rewatched it. So, 
I think, think it's, it's interesting. Far off from mine, actually. Yeah, it's Except interesting. For Django, Django, Django. Uh, last place. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's, let's move on and see where we're at comparatively. But um, uh, I mean, Sean, you said Django is crazy. Uh, what's, what's your rankings? All right, so I have a couple caveats. <laughs> Um, Jackie Brown is the movie I only saw once back in high school. I didn't even want to try and place it because I've seen all the other ones much more recently. So I just put Jackie Brown at the bottom. You could pretty much just say that that's that I'm going to leave that off my list. So yes, Jackie Brown at number nine at number nine, but that's I'm just basically yeah. leaving that off my list. Um, uh, and then I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at number eight. <gasps> um, yeah, I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I guess it's like I think it's his worst movie, but that's not saying anything. You really think <laughs> that it's not as good as Death Proof? Um, yeah. I, I mean, Death what? Proof. Okay, so all right, let me just do my yeah, list. So, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at eight. Um, seven is The Hateful Eight. Um, six is Grindhouse. Uh, uh, five is Reservoir Dogs. Four is Kill Bill. Three is Django Unchained. Two is Inglorious Bastards, and number one is Pulp Fiction. Oh, um, yeah, Django. Grindhouse. I like because because I do in my head kind of put Grindhouse as one movie. Like I know he just did half of it, um, but like that was Grindhouse might be the funnest movie uh, movie theater experience I've ever had in my life. That was so fun to go see that double, double feature, and it was fucking brilliant that I, they put that together. I agree, Sean. They, I, I saw, saw I saw Grindhouse three times in the theater, um, and it, because it was so fun, it was such a special thing. I just yeah. I just went back three times, but yeah, I think I saw it at least twice. Or but I think I saw it twice. But. But yeah. half of it is Bob Rodriguez, and you know, at home, I don't have Grindhouse sitting on my shelf. I have uh, Death Proof. So, yeah. What's your I mean, reckon? I did put. I will. You know, I think that was a whole uh, whole thing that both of them together put put together. And I, I give it. You know, I didn't put it that high. It's, it's only number seven, but sure. Um, or yeah. Um, Derek, what about you? Uh, okay, uh, uh, starting from the worst. Uh, oh, wait, I haven't seen Hateful Eight. Oh, I okay. haven't seen Four Rooms. Does that that doesn't count? Four no. Rooms doesn't count. Okay, um, and I haven't seen Death Proof. Okay. Oh, so so top seven. So, <laughs> Who are you? So I'd say uh, seven, probably. Django. Six is probably Pulp Fiction. Five, Jackie Brown. Four, Reservoir Dogs. No, wait. Four, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Three, Reservoir Dogs. Two, Kill Bill. One, Inglourious Bastards. Oh. (laughs) What just happened? Okay. <laughs> Derek just flipped this on its head. Oh, shit. Did he? <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Um, Probably not. Yeah, like, I mean, you guys are, yeah, uh, Django, you guys are putting so low. Um, yeah, I mean, where else? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so, okay, so real quick with my ranking, I just want to say that I feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will go higher on my list once I see it again. It's just, it's just nearly impossible for me to compare. I've seen the top five here probably ten times each. You know, I've seen all these movies so many times that uh, I just... It's just hard for me to really put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like much higher than I have it because um, I'm just so into all these other movies. But um, I've only seen it once and I feel like I'm going to like it more once I see it again. But um, so uh, okay, so my number nine is Death Proof. Just it's Death Proof. It's like half a movie. Death Proof. Uh, Number eight is definitely Django Unchained. Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. Agreed. And number seven wow. is definitely The Hateful Eight. Um, the Hateful Eight's great. I, I love it, but it's definitely number seven. Um, number six, I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So that's where I have that one. Um, Number five, I have Kill Bill at number five. Blasphemy. Keep going. <laughs> You're a monster, Nick. Number four, number four is Reservoir Dogs. Uh, game-changing movie, but uh, not perfect, but game-changer. Uh, number three is uh, Inglorious Bastards. You're a bad person. Keep going. Uh, number two <laughs> is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown is Jackie by Brown. far, by far, Jackie Brown is by far my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. And uh, but but I'm putting number one, the uh, cultural sensation, the another game changing movie, Pulp Fiction, is his best movie, his most important movie, Pulp Fiction, number one, with a bullet. So yeah, okay. why do you guys hate Django Unchained so much? so good it's good it just i don't know it's just it's fine i just don't love it as much you know it's like it just um i will say i like it uh i still haven't seen i'm, I'm i've done a whole watch through of quentin tarantino's movies um the worst thing he did easily that he wrote and directed is uh the the grave digger from- episodes the two-part grave digger episodes of csi <laughs> i think i remember yeah i watched those when yeah i saw out. i saw that one yeah it wasn't so bad. bad i mean it was so csi it was kind of cool that yeah. they were you know the he guy was stuck right in after a, kill bill volume two came out the guy was stuck in a hole have you guys yeah. seen the movie buried it's pretty much the same thing i think i actually haven't yeah i want to have you seen the movie Kill Bill? That's what happens to her. Oh, <laughs> oh it does. It does. Okay, so um, let's move on. Uh, unless you guys have any big objections with the Tarantino rankings. <laughs> I object um, with your Inglorious Bastards location. Oh, okay. I see. Sustained. Um, <laughs> Seconded. So let's move on to mid. Let's move on to our last feature review, um, Midsummer. Hey, so uh, Midsummer is Ari Aster's new film. I'll read the IMDb plot synopsis. 
A couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown, fabled Middle Eastern festival. What begins is an idyllic ritual, quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of the pagan cult. So this is his follow, Ari Aster's follow-up film um, from which came out last year, Hereditary. He made these back-to-back and incredibly fast. And this is without a doubt going to be one of my favorite films of the year. Um, it's starring uh, Florence Poe, uh, Jack Renner, and William Jackson Harper, which actually kind of small-time-ish actors. And there's no big stars in this film, but they all carry the film very, very well. And Florence especially Poe is definitely Florence. on her way up. I feel like we should say that she's yeah, like she's especially really, Florence. Yeah, she is um, the main character, and her the range of emotions she goes through in this movie is horrifying, and she pulls off every moment of it. And there's some shots that are just on her face, showing every like pore, and it's absolutely believable uh, in those moments. So, congrats to her. Um, it's also it's always nice to see uh, a face that you recognize from something really small and then do really good. So William Jackson Harper uh, from The Good Place uh, was really nice to see him in it and do so well and not even have any of the baggage. Uh, he didn't even bring any of the baggage from The Good Place. So hmm. yeah. yeah, so this is going to be probably maybe top 10-ish movie of the year. We'll see. Um, but definitely one of the best so far. Um, it's already July. Uh, this movie is just like Ari Aster knows every single scene, every single shot, what he wants, the way every character moves, like every gesture and every like camera pan and dolly shot. It's all just like his vision on the screen. And you know, from the very beginning, you're in good hands. Um, it's really cool to see a movie that is just this creative and this confident from beginning to end. And, um, yeah, it's one of the best because of that. I think this film also has like just an absolutely astounding opening, like sequence of events, uh, through the first like 15, 20 minutes, even just like the opening, like weird title card of the flowers into the snowy, like suburban village. And uh, what goes down with uh, this Leeds family is very, very uh, horrifying, but incredibly well done. And just the way they put together this horrifying opening is like beyond brilliant. The shots they like choose to show, the lines of dialogue they choose to give you. um, that yeah, the opening section of this film is ingrained in my head as such incredible filmmaking. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't really let down from there. I think one awesome thing they have that people have been remarking on a lot is how it's also juxtaposed with some really good humor um, that actually has you like cracking up in the film. Um, you know, like the line like, are we gonna even talk about this bear? As the camera like whips by a giant brown bear in a cage. Um, just like hilarious stuff like that throughout the whole film. Uh, the when they that's first it? take the mushrooms and they're like, uh, oh yeah, for the, sure. Josh is like that. freaking out in the in yeah. the field. That's really yeah. Cool. Uh, when he uh, when their their friend is like about to, I guess 
get courted by the woman and he's just like in complete shot. He's like, you want me to go with you? And just like the look and expression on his face, just absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. People were definitely laughing a lot in my theater. Yeah. It's a weird, scary movie. I don't even know. It doesn't, it kind of walks a weird line. Cause I don't know. Like, do you guys consider this a horror film then? I, I definitely consider it a horror film. It's not scary, but it is horrifying. It is. It is horrifying for sure. I don't think I was ever really scared of anything. Yeah, no. Yeah, I agree. It's not like Hereditary, whereas Hereditary, I was terrified. Right. This movie is is uh, yeah eerie. It's not scary. It's just it, horrifying. You, and you just don't know where it's going, but mm-hmm. you know it's not anywhere good. So it's kind of haunting, I guess, and. Yeah, horrifying as things get revealed, but there's never, you're not, as an audience member, you're not being attacked or terrorized or anything like that. So it's a lot, it's more of a, it kind of feels more like a thriller, but, um, but yeah, I was going to say, when you guys were talking about that opening (laughs) scene, I wonder if this is just going to be Ari Aster's MO is just like the most upsetting first 20 minutes in every movie he makes. Like Hereditary has arguably some of the most upsetting 20 minutes I've ever seen in any movie. Mm-hmm. It's like just shockingly horrifying and sad. And this movie kind of goes to the same places in the first 20 minutes. You know, maybe it's a, just an effective way of storytelling. It's just the way I think. And that's the well, horror like, genre. Like that's what you love about horror films. Like if you do that in sure. a drama, sometimes it's like kind of offensive or off putting, but in a horror right. movie, you're like, you're needing something like that to unsettle the fuck out of you. Yeah. Well, and Ari yeah, Aster's yeah. also done a bunch of short films, um, mm-hmm. all all horror movies, but some of them are similar to this, where they're like emotionally horrifying. And um, yeah, I've seen I've seen a handful of them, and I kind of feel like at least this one, especially the way they pushed the title sequence, the beginning felt like a short film to me. A short like, film. yeah, it oh. it, yeah. it just it was so engrossing and so complete in and of itself. And by the, by the end of it, the title title sequence hit, hits, and I was like, I I was like that that was the beginning of the movie. <laughs> oh, I was yeah. so I totally yeah. forgot how late the title hits. Yeah, like that, that was that was the that was the title sequence. Like I was <laughs> so okay, surprised. Now no, we can start. Our, our yeah, like <laughs> that was how the movie started. Like, where are we going now? And it was like it was so upsetting. I mean, I, I'll but yeah, I'll be honest. I almost walked out. Like I was like so upset in that moment. I was like, I don't know if I can handle this. And uh, I'm glad I stuck through. But (laughs) it was it was it was extremely upsetting. And but it felt it felt complete in and of itself. For sure, for sure. And I think like that's what I appreciate so much about this movie. Like that opening scene does a lot of heavy heavy lifting for the characters. Um, But like, God, they all were so authentic and real like to you know just a couple steps more than most movies are willing to take like i i think it's easy for especially for guys to get annoyed with characters like our main character in this movie um kind of you know the perspective of her boyfriend is like god like i'm dealing with a lot 
by being in this relationship with her, you know, and that's kind of what the movie's about is like whether, you know, where his stance is on the relationship and stuff. But I think they, he took it just far enough that like, God, you've, I at least felt for her so much. And at the same time, like, I feel like I know that person that, I feel like it just felt so authentic. Like I knew those people like I've, Mm. they didn't feel like these characters in a movie. Like I get what you're saying. I feel like the, the lead guy for at least people I was seeing with was getting a pretty bad rep. And I was like, you know what? Like, I think it's way more of a gray area. I kind of felt a little bit for him and his situation too, too. for a bit. I totally agree. And like, um, yeah, I I think I don't, I don't, especially not by the end of the movie. Yeah. By the end of the movie. And it might've been partly because they didn't really establish. What do you mean by the end of the movie? He was like, he was set up from the beginning as like, I don't know. But like, here's the thing. Like, Think of, I don't even know how long they had been in a relationship. If they had only been in a relationship for a few months or like two or three months, she's very this specific. Part, like about now, it. this is like a young college student who's like having like to deal with this this crazy thing. I mean, regardless, of course, if he, you know, you should try and be as a good person, try and be supportive of it. But this is a massive responsibility that he has to take on in this movie and. I, I mean, yes, I think he's he is a bad person, um, especially by the end of the movie. And but I do, you know, I, I do think that there is more to his character than just like he's a bad person. Um, sure. Yeah. But um, I, I thought I mean, I've heard a lot of criticisms about um, the central relationship in this movie between uh, Florence Pugh's Danny and Jack Rayner's Christian and how um and how the the whole relationship kind of or the whole movie kind of relied on whether or not you believed the relationship. I think, and I've heard people say that the movie didn't give you enough. And I personally think the movie gave you perfectly enough. Like mm-hmm. they told they to, they told you that they were like four years into their relationship. You oh, s- they were, I actually didn't catch that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah there's there was a scene only- where he's like. Yeah, someone asked them, and he's like, "Oh yeah, like four years." And she's like, "No, oh, wow, three, okay. three years." Six uh, no, it was it was the other way around. He was like three something, and then she knew like specifically how much yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was longer than however long. Oh, okay. she, he, he was trying was. to downplay. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, he, right. she was like, no, "It's been a while. We've been together for a while," and. It just, I, I personally felt like right from the beginning, they, I mean, I hear you, Sean, he was taking a lot of, he had a big responsibility on his plate dealing with someone who was going through so much trauma, but I felt like from the beginning, they showed that he didn't have a backbone and mm-hmm. was yeah. manipulating her feelings and yeah, definitely and uh, did a lot, yeah, gaslighting, he was doing a lot of really shady things and um um, it's kind of exactly what I mean too. Though, you know, like I know I, I that s- guy. I know that guy. Yeah. Like I right. definitely uh, met that guy multiple times. I I completely forgot that they had been in a relationship for like for that long, and I was kind of thinking for some like I was thinking it had been a fairly short relationship because that I guess makes more sense to me um, based on their characters. Uh. And then, you know, just being kind of college students, maybe they met in college and been together for yeah. under a year or so. But yeah, that does. Um, 
that puts a new perspective on but it. I feel like they, I feel like from the beginning though, you, you knew that the relationship was on slash legs and they, they did a few things later on to kind of, um, set up that he's, he's worse than just being a bad boyfriend, you know? And you're right. He doesn't, I kind of want to get, I kind of want to talk about more and more about this in spoilers because I have like some questions, Let's but, um, should we just Let go me, into spoilers uh, now, or yeah, or let's do Sean and then let's do spoilers? Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, Sean, do you want to say something, or should we just go? Yeah, into I'll spoilers? just I just wanted to, um, I, I guess like I don't have much specifically about the movie to add. Like, um, I think there's some really interesting um, plot devices in this movie. I guess like by kind of basically um, showing how the movie story is going to unfold visual like um in the shot uh, early on in the movie which i think is really clever and interesting um the art design and and everything is is incredible um but i'm also just kind of fascinated by this type of horror film that they've been doing um with with hereditary and also the witch before it has uh some of the same producers as the witch um have done all three of these movies and I think they have a lot of similarities, especially in how they um, use folklore um, as the the um, like kind of more traditional folklore as the horror paganism. Um, yeah, paganism. Like the witch was, uh, yeah, about a witch, but it's not like the Harry Potter cute witch that's or hocus pocus uh witches um it's the terrifying what kept um the the ancient the, you know the american settlers up at night uh that you know in salem um it's what uh in when we were traveling around iceland um we uh we actually went to a what was it a, a museum of the history of witchcraft in Iceland um, which is obviously Scandinavian um, comes from a lot of Scandinavian folklore and uh, like a lot of the stuff in this movie really reminded me of a lot of that stuff and um, yeah it's just really interesting th- how they uh, how they use those things for horror um, and it, but it f- at the same time it feels so fresh um, from the horror that we see all the time. Yeah, like, they're like going back even further folklore. to uh, find yeah. something fresh. That is yeah, interesting. for sure. Um, so yeah, that's... Uh, I, I really respect what they're doing with these movies. Right, so um, let's talk about some spoilers. So from here on out, the rest of the podcast, we're doing spoilers. We're going to be talking about Midsummer with spoilers. So turn it off now if you uh, don't want to get uh, the end of Midsummer spoiler for us, for you. Um, so spoilers. Um, so so I wanted to, I wanted to ask you guys. Oh, I'm sorry. What was that, Brian? <laughs> oh my my topic. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so how cool were those uh, British uh, travelers? That couple. What? What do you mean? How cool were they? <laughs> they were cool. They seem nice. They're like one of my favorite characters I've seen in horror film in a long yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty like, great. Fuck I like this. This is yeah. weird as fuck. We're leaving. And then yeah. they actually do leave immediately. Well, they try to. 
They try to die, right? But I know, I know. But they literally just pack their bag and go. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) And then the guy's like, oh, he left without you. And she's like, no, he didn't. That's weird. Fuck you. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That that was really great. Um, But at the same time, I thought they did a great job of uh, giving you an explanation to why these people are the main characters would stay. Yeah. uh, You know, them studying. Anthropologists. um, yeah, anthropologists studying this uh, this culture, and yeah, that was a really clever. I don't know if that was just a device or or where that came from, um, but that was a really clever uh, way to keep them there. Totally. So I mean, that, that like- kind of leads me into what I I wanted to say about um, that character uh, Christian, because um, you know he didn't know what he wanted his thesis to be until he got there. And then he tried to, uh, directly kind of copy his friend You know, his friend, um, the guy from the good place, William Jackson Harper. He, he was planning from the beginning to do his thesis on this society. And, uh, right when things start going weird and, you know, they had that reason for staying, um, Christian is like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to do that too. And it was like, you know that was the that was to me like enough character development to know that he's like a really terrible boyfriend and they should not be in a relationship but also he's just a scumbag yeah. you know he's just yeah. he's willing to dick over his friends and he doesn't really have allegiances to anybody except himself you know you can read yeah. so you can like fill in the blanks of that guy so easily just what you're talking yeah. about Derek like he's he's that guy who has probably had everything handed to him his whole life he's just like he feels like he deserves everything he doesn't think about other people and uh you know you just you you really get to know that about him but yeah. but then you know Ultimately, in the end, you know, he gets wrapped up in a bear costume and is burned alive. <laughs> That's what happens to him. Not a costume and, in in a bear. Well, the bears bear. the bear's dead, so yeah. it's it I guess a it's costume. a costume. It's a skinned bear. Yeah, uh, that's why they didn't talk about the bear. Right, and yeah. so so he's he's burned alive. I, how do you feel about that? You know, like. Did this guy, who's not a good person, but also not like a murderer, you know, he's not like, you know, a. I mean, are, you know, do you feel bad for him for being burned alive, or of course, do you cheer in, him? In horror yeah. movies, this to. happens a lot. I was definitely rooting for him in the like before, even before it got to the point where he's like paralyzed and stuff like that. You know, they drug him, like. I was definitely like, yeah, even though all this crazy shit happened, like I need our heroes to get out of here alive. I'm definitely rooting for them the whole time. Mm. But at see, no I point was, did I really feel like, yeah, that's what you get. Like, I don't know. See, I was, I was, I was on the girl's side hundred percent, you know, like I feel like the movie did such a good job of, of Nick, of, of showcasing her, her trauma. So you were like cheering. Uh-huh. I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily cheering him on, but you know, the end of the movie, she like smiles and that's like the end of the movie. And uh, that's really interesting. And so, you know, what is the movie trying to say there? You know, is the movie trying to say that, that she she, family, 
that she's evil now or yeah or that she found family or that you know she's she's finally able to start over because her uh everything she's lost everything um well i've got a i've got a bit of a hot take on that big take sean here (laughs) well so uh it it even it kind of ties in with um even what i said earlier about uh, christian is that his name the main character Um, he's not the main character the, the guy character yeah the main guy character um so I, what I was saying is like he he takes on this massive responsibility by being um, the partner of someone who's gone through a horrible tragedy. Obviously, we're talking now that we're in spoilers, we're talking about she loses her pretty much entire immediate. I mean, she loses her entire immediate family in one night, um, her sister and her two parents. Um and he takes on this massive responsibility um, to comfort her, to be there for her. Uh, and the question is, what is the responsibility of, of someone to fully support someone like that? And so kind of what I was saying earlier is like if they had been together a short period of time and now all of a sudden he has this, this huge responsibility, you know, how do you take that on? And is there, do you have the right to just up and back out? Do you have the right to leave um, someone like that? You absolutely do. But I think that ties into this idea where later on in the movie, when she's going through these horrible things and, and even set up earlier than that, when the guy, her, their friend from the, from the cult, um, is saying like I know what you've been through. I lost my parents. I like I grieved, but it was these people who were there for me. And then like throughout the rest of the movie, as she's like going through this trauma, as as things keep getting more and more fucked up, like she is, like when all those women um, take her into the the house or whatever, and she's just bawling her eyes out, and all the other women there are screaming with her, like almost take empathetically taking on her pain mm-hmm. um, with her, and it it they are in as much pain as she is because she's experiencing that pain, and like even in the end when the house is burning with uh, not just um, what's his name Christian. Christian. Got their, in the bear suit, it's the, there's two of their their um, friends, their family members, um, who are burning alive. Which goes back to the their friend from the cult. He said his the, his parents died in a fire. You assume that that's that's the link there, but um, the rest of the of the cult, that all the people outside are screaming with them. They're mm-hmm. out there like reeling in pain and screaming and empathy. They and feel like the pain. Everyone is taking on each other's pain in this society. And I think like in the end, she sees this and is in some ways it's comforting to her um, that they would do. And, and so that's what I, I think that was all about. Um, that's my hot take on, on that. Yeah. I mean, because of that, I kind of, had trouble deciding whether or not like where these people even really landed on like an evil spectrum. Like there's clearly people part of their society that are actually murderers, but, Mm. but also like 
it, you know, it's kind of hard to tell. We don't, you don't, they don't give us enough information to know how involved everyone is with all these decisions that are being made and stuff. But like, that was the weird part of the movie is like, they don't, they're not all inherently evil people either. The villains of the movie aren't all inherently evil. And so it's kind of a, I don't know. For me, it was like a weird, that was a weird thing to kind of tangle with in my head. It's like, where, like, if I'm saying they're not evil, that they just like burnt people alive and like murdered some other tourists and stuff like that. It's like, I don't really know. But, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It's kind of a weird. It's a it's whole a, Nazi bystander German thing, right? Like, for sure. Everyone in that village knew that they were burning two people. Right. Every time the ceremony happened, I guess once every seventy something years or whatever it was, um, yeah, once and they against people. their will, um, not their friends, but the two people they chased down in the woods and slaughtered and yeah, yeah. all that I mean, stuff. There's definitely everyone knew that. where they're Being they're luring outsiders in right. to this to this thing. That's definitely that's definitely evil. I right. assume that guy. Um, the the guy who brought his friends and the the guy who brought the British people there, I assume they all knew that they were bringing people there to die. Yeah, yeah I think and, everyone knew the end, like result yeah. of all of this. Yeah. Um, so, so that's yeah, the evil part. I sure. I am questioning though, like when those two older people go up on the on the cliff, the and jump off like I don't know if that's evil or well, if that's a weird like, moral or if spot it's like too. A, yeah, like where and I'm and curious. Those, where it's you like guys moral indoc like that's a, like indoctrination. Like yeah, it's assisted yeah. suicide, which should be legal, but at the same time, you can't implant you know like evil morality into babies' kid like heads since they're born to make those kind of decisions when they grow up. Yeah, like yeah. and then also those two people willingly volunteering to go into the um into the house as it burned uh yeah like yeah. that that brand of self-sacrifice self-suicide but, or self but at the same time like it's all part of the culture. the empathy that they all feel for each other the community and the the sacrifices that they make for their beliefs the, their belief that you know they are doing something that's for the best for the whole community because they say that you know what's the morality of um letting someone grow old and and putting them in a home where they just kind of rot the rest of their lives alone and and uh suffer uh as opposed to these two people who you know commit suicide and um what about community no longer has to support them and and they presumably they believe that that probably has some kind of spiritual benefit to the community. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I mean, all of this is what makes this movie so good yeah. too. It's like, there's just so much of that to talk about. Yeah. You guys uh, haven't, no one's brought up to me. What was the best part about this movie? So I definitely like this movie. I definitely like this movie less than you guys did. By the way, um, I I thought it was way too long. Uh, like I probably Agreed. won't ever. I probably won't ever rewatch this movie because it just was too long. Like have, I didn't. Really- have you heard the backstory of the running time of this movie? No. 
Ari oh. Aster's original cut of this movie. Oh. He said was just shy of four hours long. Jeez. <laughs> wow. <sighs> Release nice. the director's cut. That's what, yeah, there was a hashtag on Twitter after this came out that was like, <laughs> yeah. I think it was like more mocking the Snyder cut thing. Yeah. Justice I mean, that's cute. Um, <laughs> it's just crazy. Just, that's how much they filmed. Like, I, I, it was designed yeah. as that long of a movie. It's nuts. I mean, I feel like that might happen with a lot of movies. I, I, I wouldn't know for sure, but like, I don't know. A lot of it probably had to do with they had one location, anyways. So yeah. like, he could just keep at writing more and more pages. And what sure. they were all just in one place, just kind of all hanging out for a long time. Like the it didn't it didn't to me it didn't necessarily feel too long while it was happening, but there wasn't enough happening for it to really be that long for me. You know, where, um, I mean, compare it directly to once upon a time in Hollywood, which was just about the same length. There was like a lot constantly happening. There was like Mm -hmm. scenes within scenes within actions of once upon a time in Hollywood where midsummer was just, they're just kind of hanging out for, and I kind of agree, Nick, I think I have it in my head as like a low four and a half. Um, as, yeah. as opposed to a strong four and a half. Yeah. Because um, of I definitely that. thought Hereditary was stronger in that sense. And that that's why I still put Hereditary above this movie. Yeah. Um, it um, just has, it, it. there's more to it. There's, there's more, um, it's better paced. It's, it has kind of a through narrative that's pulling you along. Whereas the, for this movie, I will say like the, the thing that really um, kept me going was, just how it explored this world and how it explored this community. Um, Always, like, continuously, very slowly, um, like, unveiling the workings of of the, I don't know, what what do you call it? The cult, the community, the... The religion. Whatever the, yeah, the religion. Um, Yeah, that's what kept me going. It was, I found it so fascinating. how they did that lots of research yeah Yeah. it's a good writer there's some insane shots in this movie too Mm. like specifically I'm just thinking of those dinner table scenes where everyone's waiting to start eating and then like it's always like 50 people that the camera pans across all at the perfect timing each one of them picking up their like forks and everything one after another like perfectly timed without missing any little beat there it's like panning across 50 so people. It does it multiple times. It's like, Jesus Christ. The amount of like planning to make that work is just intense. Yeah, that is really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay, well, um, I think we should wrap it up. We've been talking about this for a really long time. So um, uh, real quick, let's talk about real quick before we finish the episode. Um, uh, let's each say if we're looking forward to a movie next month. Uh, uh, Sean, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I'm really looking forward to the movie Good Boys. It looks really fun and super funny. From the uh, director of yeah. Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, really? The classic. <laughs> Brandon, what about you? I'm looking forward to uh, The Farewell. Really excited. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's getting really great reviews. Um, Derek, yeah, what about Festival you? Darling from earlier this year. Um, there's a couple. I really want to see Hobbs and Shaw. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know when I'm going to get around to it, but I know it'll hang around for a while. But what I'm really, really curious about to see how it turns out is scary stories to tell in the dark. It's like a Guillermo del Toro produced uh, director of um, Troll Hunter uh, horror remake of the or adaptation of that book that everybody had in their height. Oh, you had uh, it too? Elementary school library, yeah. We had it, yeah. Yeah, and um, it looks, I don't know how amazing it looks, but it looks like they did a lot of practical effects, and I'm really curious to Mm -hmm. see how they how it turns out yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, director of troll hunter Derek that's what I just said oh sorry you agreed with me when I said it. <laughs> never mind yeah um, yeah. yeah I'm really excited about Hobbs and Shaw uh, of course you know I love the Fast and Furious movie so I'm super psyched on that I love the rock the most electrifying man in all of entertainment but I'm also really curious about the movie Blinded by the Light. It could be very bad. Like, it could be a really cheesy, terrible, annoying movie. But it just the trailer looks so much fun. I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan. I just love this idea of this Indian kid just getting obsessed with the boss and helping, you know, help Bruce Springsteen using his words to get him through, uh, get him through life. So really uh curious to see how that movie's gonna turn out Wait, so. that's that's the one with from the director of bend Bend it like beckham oh yeah i mixed him up sorry <laughs> but yeah you uh, know what nick the second i saw that trailer i thought of you yeah because I, cool. I don't know much about bruce springsteen but i know you're you've always been a big fan of him yeah man i love the boss just i don't know there's that line of the trailer where and he's like he quotes uh, Born to Run. He's like, tramps like us, we were born to run. And his friend's like, did you write that? That's crap. You know, just love <laughs> the it. The trailer really made me want to listen to him. I've never yeah. really listened to, like, I've maybe just heard his songs uh, in passing. so but good. I've never listened to him, but it sounds nice. good. So good. Anyway, so with that, uh, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, and we'll talk to you next month. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.